All right, thank you, Craig, very much for reading this. So uh, thanks for letting me preach here this morning. My name, as I said before, is Glenn, and I am not Randy Shile. Um, we have asked Randy to help out with preaching a few times a month, and he has been uh, the last three times. He's really helped us out a lot, but he and his wife are out uh, celebrating their 35th wedding anniversary, so well-deserved rest for them. And when I think of Randy, I think of Gandalf riding in on a horse and dropping this ancient wisdom and then hopping on a horse and riding out. And um, there, he, he's a pretty steady person from meeting with him. Like, this is him when he's preaching, and this is him when he's on his anniversary weekend, and him and his wedding night, and him when he's angry. And he's pretty steady as she goes, but I'm not that, so uh, make sure your seatbelt is on, your airbag is turned on. Um, what I have been praying for and prepped for this sermon is that you and I would just be so enamored with Jesus that we wouldn't care what other people think, that we would be so close to Jesus and revere him so much that, like, like John the Baptist does, we're about to see that, that we don't care what other people think. We don't care what they do. We want to bring glory to Jesus. That's my main goal. It's a gift and an honor for us to witness about Jesus but um, John the Baptist, in four short words, I think, really describes what is happening in this whole passage is not me, but him. Not me, John the Baptist says, but him, but Jesus. I, I got those words from Josh Moody in his commentary. I just thought that they really, really weaved in what John the Baptist was happening. Not me, but Jesus. And John, the author talks about um, the voice's character. He talks about John the Baptist's character, and he weaves that in with his message over three days. The first day of testimony is that he is here. The second day's testimony is to look at him, and the third one will ultimately be follow him. But I'm going to pray and ask God to help us, and then we're going to get into this text. So let's pray together. Father, we just come to you in the the same way that John the Baptist did, and we want to make much of Jesus here this morning. Not just me speaking about him, but Lord, all of us in our hearts that this morning that we would see Jesus and be enamored with him and, and put our hope in him, and, and as John the author says, that we would believe in him more and more. I ask God that you would make him leap off the pages and leap out of this sermon so that we might bring glory to him and see him uh, raised and, and lifted up and worshiped and trusted and hoped in. So God, would you do that this morning? We need your spirit to move us. We need for you to help us. In Jesus' name, we all pray through the spirit. Amen. So John, the author, JTA, is introducing JTB, John the Baptist, in John 1, 6, thank you, in John 1, 6, he says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He's talking about John the Baptist. He just leaps onto the pages. And how do we know that he was sent by God? In Luke 1, which is a parallel passage to this, uh, God is speaking to John, and he says this, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, that God commissioned John the Baptist. He sent John the Baptist to preach about Jesus, and he who sent me 
He, he would have been God who sent him to baptize with water. He was commissioned by God. Just walked out of the woods on a foggy morning. Just this really rough and tumble guy wearing rough and tumble uh, camel's hair. And he would have been disheveled and misunderstood and just walks out and starts preaching, preaching a, a, a baptism of repentance. And he himself is a very interesting story. He had almost a miraculous birth, birth in the same way that Jesus did. His mother, Elizabeth, was a relative to Mary, who is Jesus's mom, and they met. But Elizabeth was past childbearing years, and they were barren. And yet God opened her womb and brought John the Baptist into the picture. And John and Jesus were then relatives and would have grown up as somehow relatives or cousins with moms who were pregnant at the same time. John the Baptist was about six months older than Jesus. They probably knew each other. They probably played together. And this will be interesting in some verses that we read coming up. But there's a very interesting connection, I think, a spiritual connection between John the Baptist and Jesus that happens. So John the Baptist is about six months older. He's a relative. They would have played together and all of that. But when they meet John the Baptist, when his mom was filled with the Holy Spirit, he leapt in his mom's womb at the mention of Jesus' name. That's according to Luke 1. So before John the Baptist was even born, he was filled with the Spirit, and he started uh, to, to go and to preach about the blessing of Mary's womb. He did that by kicking in his mom's womb. So before he was even born, he was filled with the Spirit to preach and to be a forerunner of Jesus. And we see this foreshadowing come to fruition in this passage that we just read here today. He came from obscurity. Although he was foreknown by God, he wasn't by the people that were around. He was purposed to do a job of being the forerunner of Jesus, and he was humble in character. Just John appeared. That's the first words of Mark 1.4. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. God foreknew John set him apart to do this, and then all of a sudden he appears, a preacher coming from the wilderness, out of the woods, hairy, misunderstood, eating locusts and honey. He dresses weird. He preaches. He goes for it in front of everyone. When I think of someone, like I think of the front man of, of um, I don't know, Van Halen, David Lee Roth, way back in the day, dressed weird. He was just out there. But there was, with John the Baptist, less spandex, more camel's hair, much less debauchery, and more humility. But more appropriately, he would have been called John the Baptizer, or John the one who baptizes, right? It's kind of long, but it's a descriptive word rather than a denominational uh, key. But baptism in that day, interestingly enough, John revamped it. John was the first one to actually do a ministry where he baptized people because in the book of Leviticus, God instructs Jews to cleanse themselves from ritual impurities, contracted through such acts as touching a corpse or a leper. Washing primarily fulfilled the legal requirements of a ritual purity so that Jews could sacrifice at the temple. So a, a Jewish person who wanted to purify themselves would go down into the water and as an act of purification would baptize themselves. They would cleanse themselves. 
Sometimes you saw Gentiles who wanted to become Jewish people. They were God-fearers or righteous Gentiles who wanted to convert to Judaism. They would be baptized, but again, they would baptize themselves as a sign of the covenant given to Abraham. So what you would see is a bunch of people who are baptizing themselves, and then all of a sudden this guy shows up on the scene. He walks out of the woods. He's crazy. He's got the crazy eyes, and he's baptizing people, and he's doing that for them. It would have been new. John appeared, Mark 1, baptizing in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all of the country of Judea and all of Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. So out of obscurity comes this preacher, baptizer guy who goes down into the river and calls people to come down and cleanses them ritually through this thing called baptism. Now we understand coming from obscurity, like you've seen those guys who have no name, but they've got a viral video on YouTube and that type of thing. They, they come from obscurity. Alan Walker is one of those guys. He's a DJ from Europe who, when he was 15 years old, he was in his basement. He YouTubed, how do I be a DJ? How do I write a song? And he wrote a song when he was 15 that now has over a billion hits on Spotify. Like, this guy came from obscurity. He came from his basement. Now he has 45 million followers on YouTube and 11 billion overall hits on Spotify, listens on Spotify. We understand obscurity coming from this place, but the, that's where the similarities end because then we celebrate when someone does something great. We celebrate the goat, the greatest of all time. And the problem with using any kind of, uh, any kind of an illustration of someone coming from obscurity now is because we celebrate their fame, which is the exact opposite of John the Baptist. I hope this gives you a glimpse into the character of John the Baptist. This guy is humble. He is humble. He, not me, he says, but Jesus. Let's look at this. This is the testimony of John. Okay, talking about John the Baptist in verse 19. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Let's watch the way John, the author, sets this whole thing up, sets up the conflict. So there's these Jews that came, uh, that sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask John some questions. Okay, he came from obscurity, he has a following, it's a regional following, and the Jews would have sent uh, priests and Levites, some people that were kind of lower down on the echelon, on, the, on the, the totem pole, to go and ask questions of this guy who's doing this. This is regional. The distance from Jerusalem to Bethany would have been a four-day journey, eight to 12 miles per day. Like this is, this is something where they were like, we've got to send some people out. We've got to dedicate them to go because he's getting a following that's big enough. We're hearing about it four days away in Jerusalem. He was getting noticed. So who were these Jews? They were the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem. They were the council that ran all of Judaism. They were the ones who sent priests and Levites to go and ask questions of John the Baptist. This council was made up mostly of Sadducees with Pharisees, and the priests and the Levites would have been the lower echelon to go and do the bidding of the Sanhedrin, of the council. 
So throughout the book of John, you're going to see this group called the Jews interact with Jesus. So be on the lookout. It doesn't go well for them. You'll see. But they asked him, who are you? So what are they really asking? So this is the testimony when Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask John the Baptist, who are you? You can tell what they're asking by the way that John the Baptist answers. He confessed. He did not deny, but he confessed. It's a threefold confession. It's triple strong language. Confessed, did not deny, but confessed. I am not the Christ. They were asking, are you Messiah? Are you the Christ? Are you the anointed one? Are you the chosen one? Are you the holy one who comes from God? Is that you? And he says, no, I am not the Christ. They're asking, are you, are you the Messiah? And he vehemently denies it. Confessed, did not deny, but confessed. Triple strong language to say, no, not me, but him. They ask, are you Elijah? I am not. Are you the prophet? No. His answers get shorter and shorter. And without getting lost in the weeds in too much details, the Jews would have been looking for Messiah. They would have been waiting for him. He would have been called the Christ, the anointed one. And John emphatically answers them to say he's, he's not them. He only came in the power of Elijah, according to Luke 1. The actual Elijah will precede Jesus when he returns. Are you the prophet? Are you the one who's going to come in prophetic power? And he was saying, I am just simply a voice in the wilderness who is bringing glory to Jesus. John was a prophet. He was actually the first prophet to speak in 400 years from the Old Testament until here. He starts speaking, but he is not the prophet that they are asking about. It's another way for them to ask, are you the anointed one? Are you the one who, to whom will bring all of this together, who will lead us as a king, who will bring power and glory to the nation of Israel? And he's like, no, that's not me. Then they, say, then they said to him again in verse 22, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And then he says this, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. He takes all of the, the focus off of him and he simply says, I'm a humble voice. I'm one calling in the wilderness to make straight the way for him. Not me, but him, right? It's like a spiritual bulldozer moving rocks and pushing things out of the way in the desert so that there's this highway in which the anointed one can walk down. The one who is to be expected and to be loved and adored and worshipped can come and walk down that highway. I'm just a voice, right? It's just outwardly humble. He's quoting Isaiah 40, verse 3, which a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for who? For our God. He gives great clarity in telling them who he was and who he was not. He made it nothing of himself, not me, but him, about God. He makes it about him. So his purpose in being sent to say this, we go back to John 1.7. John the Baptist came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. There's something really powerful about a witness of God. 
so powerful that people came to believe when John the Baptist started talking about Jesus this way. And he, in his humility, looks back to the Old Testament, starts quoting Isaiah, but when John the Baptist gave his testimony about Jesus, it was like a flood pushing things out of the way, the power of his testimony. It was like a bulldozer pushing rocks out of the way, pushing brush out of the way, getting these boulders moved out of the way. The landscape is now smooth because that's clarity about who is coming, right? Let's just look a little bit more at the character of John the Baptist, his humility within the context of this interchange. He says, I'm a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, so they asked him, then why are you baptizing? If you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet, they're asking, by what authority are you baptizing? Who do you think that you are in doing this? John answered, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not even unworthy to untie, or, or worthy to untie, sorry. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan. So what John the Baptist is doing is he is relenting of any kind of pride, and he's saying it's about Jesus. By what authority do you do this? He doesn't even answer that. He says, I baptize with water, but there's someone who's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. You guys are worried about me and I'm dunking people in the river? This guy is going to use the Holy Spirit to baptize people. He takes the, the argument and just flushes it out in his humility and says, this is what it's about. It's about him, not me. It's, it's amazing. We, as a culture are obsessed with pride. We just are. What are the most viral videos on YouTube? The greatest of all time, the goat. Those are the ones that are getting millions of hits. It's not the humble guy that nobody knows, right? We wanna be the goat. We should be looking at, at, at videos that are the loat, the least of all time, right? But we're, we wanna be the goat. And when people say things that are ridiculously prideful, we celebrate it. Think of all the Muhammad Ali quotes that we quote all the time. I'll just bring up three of them. He said, I should be a postage stamp. That's the only way I'll ever get licked, right, as a fighter. He says, I shook up the whole world. Me. This is a dude. I am the greatest, he said. I said that even before I knew I was. And we celebrate this. We celebrate Pride, and pride is just so insidious because the Bible talks about pride and blindness being so close together. Like we're, we think much of ourselves and we don't even realize that we think much of ourselves. The Bible talks about it in language where God is against it. Listen to these words. Oh, everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. This is how God sees pride, and we celebrate it. We want to 
We just want it to be celebrated, the greatest. Oh, man, this dude owned this other person on a, on a video, and we watched that, and it's just all based in pride. You know, the first law of being a believer is humility. If you're going to ask Jesus to save you, if you're going to call out on his name that he is the Savior and that you're not, that takes humility. No one can come to God if they're prideful, if they're arrogant. No one can be a believer if they're prideful and they're arrogant because in order for us to be a believer in Jesus, we have to at least say, you're God and I'm not. I need your salvation because I can't do this, right? And some of you are like, well, I don't know if I'm struggling with pride. It's not that big of a deal for me. Maybe, maybe not. Um, Some of you are like, yeah, that's me. There's this little book, it's called From Pride to Humility, and it's like 30 pages that will just stab you in the heart, every 30, every page of this. The definition of pride, the mindset of self, it's a master's mindset rather than that of a servant. It's a focus on self and the service of self, a pursuit of self-recognition and self-exaltation and a desire to control and use all things for self, right? And then it gives a quiz. You get an answer, is this me or is this not me? So zero, this is not an issue in my life. Five, this is a life-dominating issue in my life. There's a, a number six, I put a six out of five. The next page, I put a seven. Maybe that's prideful, you know, I mean, like thinking too much of myself. Good one, right, Craig? All of that to say is that If you want to read a book that will just hammer on pride, this is a great read for you to go through. Our small group is going through it. We'll see how many people are actually in my small group at the end of this. But the point is this, pride is just insidious. It's the first sin. Satan said, I want my throne to be at the same level as God's. And it got him kicked out of heaven and he led angels away and you and I are led away by that in our pride. And here you have John the Baptist. He's the exact opposite. Humility. God recognizes humility, not pride. Listen to how Jesus, the Son of God, describes John the Baptist in Matthew eleven eleven. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. The greatest man who's ever lived. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. God saw that in his humility that John the Baptist was great, but then he's like, the reason he's so great is because he's so humble. Celebrate Jesus, not yourself, is the message of John the Baptist. Not me, but him. So they ask, why are you baptizing? I'm baptizing because I'm giving, a fore, I'm giving you foreknowledge of the one who is to come, who will baptize in the Holy Spirit. He will baptize. So when you and I become believers, we get baptized in the Holy Spirit by Jesus. And his whole thing, that he's out in the river, it points to that. He's out dunking people in water, and he says, there's something better, and it comes from Jesus. So why is he baptizing? To give glory to Jesus, not me, but him. And listen to the words that he says in verse 26. 
John answered, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. So John's message to the Jews who had, or to the priests and the Levites who are sent from Jerusalem is that he's here. He's among you. The Messiah, he's here. That's his first day message. Look for him. Now, he wasn't exactly right there. He was actually on his way back from uh, the desert where John had baptized him earlier, and then he went out into the desert immediately by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by Satan for 40 days. So he's been out there, but John the Baptist is saying, he's here. He's regionally among you. He's here. And this is the last interchange with the priests and the Levites, ultimately the Jews, at least for now. So they would have gone back to Jerusalem and said, hey, we've heard of Messiah. He's here. And they would have, you'll, you'll see them interact with Jesus later on, knowing that John the Baptist is calling him the Christ. He's calling him the Messiah. And you'll see how they interact with him. So let's continue on. The next day, John the Baptist gives another testimony. He saw Jesus coming toward him. Again, he's coming out of the, the desert. He's coming out of the wilderness. He had just been tempted. And what does he say? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. The second day, he gives a simple message. Look, look at him. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This setting has a larger setting from before the foundation of the world type of large. So when John the Baptist is saying the lamb who takes away the sin of the world, we see this within the context that, that God was slain on the cross before the foundation of the world. Glenn, how can you say that? I'm going to read some scriptures that says that. 1 Peter 1 says, But with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. And Revelation 13 says that uh, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world and the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. So if you can imagine in pre-existent, the world has not even been made yet, and God, the Godhead is there and they're, they're looking at Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then the Son, somehow, he becomes a lamb within their, within their thought, within their process together. He becomes a lamb so much that this lamb is slain before the foundation of the world, before the world is even made. And then we look, and God says, I'm going to create an animal that's going to represent the second person of the Trinity, and we're going to call him a lamb. So what you see in the context is that God completed salvation before he created everything. It's amazing. But now the appointed time has come and God sends the eternal son. He sends the eternal lamb into the world. And John the Baptist, his witness is the first witness of that. And what an incredible, mind-blowing thing to be able to say, I first witnessed of the lamb of God. Divinity has taken on humanity. Deity is here. There's an eternal fellowship that exists within the Godhead that remains unbroken. It simply moves from the heavens to the earth where Jesus takes up residence as a lamb. John the Baptist is saying there is a being 
who is so beautiful and so holy and his character is so unworldly that he takes away the sins of the world the moment that he dies. Not me, but him. He is the sufficient lamb because of his ultimate origin. He is the sufficient lamb because he is of God, the lamb of God. He says, I didn't know this yet. This is an interesting language. I myself did not know him. Well, he grew up with him. They played Legos together. They hung out. But this for, for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. So what you see earlier on in the book of Matthew is that John the Baptist baptized Jesus, and in that moment, he heard the voice, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. I know him. That's my cousin. Then he saw the Holy Spirit rest on him like a bird would, would rest on a, on, a, on a wire or something like that. He came down and rested on him, and the Word who created all and is the Creator is now baptized in these waters, and the Spirit of God that used to hover over them is now resting on him. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are rejoicing together in Jesus' baptism. Right there, standing before you as a being from God who when he dies, he takes away the sin of the world. Such different character and personhood that you have ever met. Takes away, interesting language. It doesn't say he took away. It doesn't say he will take away, which are, those are both very strong possibilities when John the author was writing this. It says he takes away. It's, it's uh, present tense verb action. It means it just keeps happening. Much in the same way that, that according to Colossians 1, Jesus holds all things together. He takes away the sin. It's present action present tense action. He removes our transgressions from us as far as the east is from the west. So day three, following testimony is simple, simply this. We won't, I won't read too much into it because Randy's going to preach this next week. But the next day, again, John the Baptist was standing with two of his disciples. He looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said, look, the Lamb of God, the two disciples who were John's disciples, said, heard him say this, and then they followed Jesus. Again, John the Baptist had such humility. He's like, I don't even want disciples. Go and follow him. Not me, but him. Go and follow. And they did. So I'll make this very short. John the Baptist was incredibly Christ-centered. Now, how can we say this? Because he said he saw Jesus and pointed at him. And again, he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, this is the Lamb of God. So in thinking through, like, how do we respond to this passage? That you and I can give testimony the same way that John the Baptist gave testimony about Jesus. Right? You are actually a believer because somebody witnessed about Jesus at some point, and you believed their witness, and you believed in Jesus. For us, this is an incredible thing to do to witness for Jesus, for us to say the thing about Jesus, to be clear about who Jesus is when telling others about him. And people may trust our testimony and look to Jesus and find salvation. So let's be clear about who Jesus is. 
So um, several years ago, uh, there were some people in our church that I was going through telling our story with Jesus as the hero, right? It's just our way of saying this is our testimony, but it ultimately culminates in the person of Jesus, much like what John the Baptist did. Not me, but him, right? So we're telling our stories, and this guy literally said, um, we we're just trying to be clear about Jesus, but he goes, you know, he tells his life story, he gets to this point where he gets married, and then he literally said, and my wife is my savior. She's the one who saved me. I mean, we were all facepalming. We were like, what? If you're hearing that, I hope that you find something wrong with that. But here's the thing. The talking about Jesus, the, the, John the Baptist, is, he makes it so clear. It can be cloudy, like, oh, yeah, I used to do drugs, and now I don't do drugs anymore. And, and it gets off a little bit because we never talk about Jesus. Or I used to do this, or I used to say this, and now I, I don't. And that becomes our testimony. And John the Baptist is like, no, 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 no. I'm not even going to answer about what I used to do or don't do or any of that. It's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus, that John the Baptist was centered in on Jesus. He wasn't centered in on law. He wasn't centered in on scriptures. He wasn't centered in on the Old Testament sacrificial system. It's Jesus. And I've said this before. It's Jesus, 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 Jesus. Oh, and it's Jesus, right? There is no other name under, under heaven by which you will be saved. It's Jesus. He knew this. Your works mean nothing to God compared to the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Your good thoughts or bad thoughts have no bearing when it comes to Jesus being the son of God with whom the father is well pleased. John 3 says this about the son. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life. This is good news. Whoever does not obey the son does not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Godhead in heaven is Jesus-centered. This is my Son with whom I am well pleased. This is where the Holy Spirit rests, is on Jesus. This is why Jesus is such a big deal. So when you have people over to your house for dinner and you don't know what to say, just start talking about Jesus. This is what John the Baptist did. When you're having a beer over a fire with somebody that doesn't know Jesus, just start telling them this is who he is. Start talking about how good he is or how he came to this place to save or how he will bring eternal life that starts with abundant life right now. You just make it about Jesus. Not me, but him. Let me pray. I'm going to have our response teams come forward while I'm praying. And then we're going to spend some time, sorry, wrong time of prayer. We're going to spend some time praying together. And then when I come back up, we'll have our response teams come up. Sorry. So let me pray and then we'll get into prayer. Father, we thank you for Jesus. May we be centered on Jesus the way that you are centered on Jesus and the way that John the Baptist was centered in on Jesus. May our hearts ring to bring glory to him. May our love for him just flow out of us the way it did in John the Baptist. May we make it about him. May we talk about him. May we worship him in the midst of people who are hostile toward him or don't understand him. 
Lord, would you help us in this? In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Here are our prayer prompts. So we have been spending some time as a congregation responding in prayer. So we've got some time that we can do that before our musicians come up. So the first prayer prompt, these prompts will be up on the screen for about 10 minutes each. Do I have humility along the lines of John the Baptist? It's a laughable question. Do I desire to have him take prominent place in my life? Him being Jesus, not John the Baptist. So how can we as a church humble ourselves? John 1, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. Okay, that's the first prayer prompt. Second one, who is one person that God has put in my life to whom he desires me to witness? Pray together that God would help you make the gospel clear in your witness, that you make it about Jesus, not me, but him. John 1, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, look, look at him, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John 1, I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. Let's spend some time praying together as a church, and then I will come up and close this out.